From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and joining me for this episode is Joe Ovies, who uh, co-hosts the Adam and Joe Show on 99.9 FM, The Fan, uh, Mondays through Fridays, 3 to 7 p.m. in Raleigh, North Carolina. I have enjoyed uh, Joe's Twitter feed for at least the past few years. He's at Joe Ovies, that's J-O-E-O-V-I-E-S. Joe, welcome to the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV radio. (laughs) Robert, what's going on, man? So, uh, you know, I, I, if, if we if we can squeeze in a little time about your your radio duties, we will. But uh, yesterday, I tweeted out one of the questions from Richard Deitch's mailbag column on the Athletic, and a distillation of the question, which came from Gil Gross in New York, was: Will self-driving vehicles spell the end of radio audio as a medium, and uh, should young broadcasters consider it? Uh, the short version of Richard's answer was no, he's not too worried about that right now. And uh, then Joe chimed in with, uh, this is a question I've kicked around between upcoming 5G wireless, Apple slash Google, figuring out convergence between uh, devices and dashboards and driverless cars. Radio is facing similar disruption to uh, what TV is dealing with now. And uh, I find all of this stuff fascinating, uh, particularly because my primary choice for media these days, even when I'm home and could easily watch TV, is in fact audio. Uh, and indeed, podcasts and especially audiobooks have stolen pretty much all of my non-live sports viewing TV time. And the percentage of games I watch while listening to a podcast or an audiobook is probably like 85%. I know I'm an outlier, and I'm not thinking I'm any kind of early adopter, but if I am, I think it's good news for audio. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you about uh, Gil Gross's question, which, which I perceive to be, if I can, as soon as I can watch a video in my car, will I give up the radio? And that is a really interesting question, and I'm, you, know, you obviously have a lot of thoughts on this. Share some of them. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that Richard, who has been a guest on our program many, many times, had not put much thought into it. And not that I would expect that he's worried about a big picture kind of thing. But for me, I think about it constantly. And thankfully, I work for a company, Capital Broadcasting, uh, that has radio stations, our sports talk station. We have an adult contemporary station. We have a television station. We have a very robust website. Uh, so we, we are a very forward-thinking media company with apps and everything else like that. So we have tried to position ourselves in the same way that ESPN has tried to position itself with their ESPN audio, where wherever you are, we want to be able to provide you with our audio. And I'll never forget going to a to an event up in Bristol back in 2010 where they likened the phone to a modern transistor radio. You have a, you have a way to listen to audio at all times. Yep. But the biggest advantage that we have in the radio industry is convenience. Uh, you know, in our market specifically, Raleigh, Durham, the Triangle, it is not a subway market. Okay, this is right. a commuter market, right. and I've been here since 1995, and it continues to grow every single day. I used to be able to get, I used to be able to get from Raleigh to Chapel Hill in 30 minutes, no problems whatsoever. Now, because of all the people that have moved here and the traffic that is now on I-4440, uh, it's a little bit longer. But I view them as audience. That's my audience. They're all in their car, right. and right now. The easiest thing for you to do is to hit a button and audio comes out. But one of these days, Apple, Google, they're going to figure out the easiest to mimic that exact frictionless way of turning on audio in your car that they haven't yet. 
Um, you know, radio is universal. Every every car has a radio. Every car has a radio. All you got to do is turn it on. Every car has a different infotainment system. They haven't converged that yet. That's our advantage right now. But that might not be the case in five years. Well, I think that so the good news is at least at least for people like me is if I'm if I'm like listening to you in my house, the odds are mm-hmm. I'm listening to you from my phone anyway. And uh, even even if I'm, I'm I'm streaming and if I migrate to my car, uh, that transition is very seamless for me right now where I just, you know, I'm it listening. Is. Uh, so, so I think it's, it's progressed. My, my, my question for you is, I mean, I, I look at all this stuff as a, as a habits based thing. So yeah. are, are people sticking with the habit of, of, uh, you know, listening to you guys, you know, in a linear fashion, or if they're not, are you seeing a migration to where they're listening to your podcast or they're, they're listening in some other way? It is the majority of it is uh, what you would describe as linear, and it's going to continue to be that way for quite some time. Although in the last couple of years, through promotion and people getting used to the habits, as you mentioned, we've started to see an uptick in the amount of people who were actually listening to our best of podcast. It used to be if, uh, if there was a glitch in the system and the podcast didn't come through, we'd never know about it. But in the last two years or so, if there's a glitch in the system and the podcast doesn't come out on time, we'll hear about it. So that, that's good news. And to get back to your original question about, you know, driverless cars and the audio medium and things like that, where I think people, people think you just want to watch video in your car. I don't think that's actually what people are going to do in driverless cars. In driverless cars with the commute, what's going to happen is what you've seen with these tech companies that bus in their employees from satellite lots. I'll give you right. an example. A friend of mine works for Amazon in California. He lives in San Francisco, and he commutes into the main Amazon campus. His workday starts on a Wi-Fi-equipped bus in a satellite lot. He's got his computer open. He's checking email. He's doing all that stuff. You can't watch video. You can't watch your favorite TV show while you're working. But you can listen to podcasts passively. You can listen to the radio, whether it's streamed or not. So I think with driver with the, with the, with the self-driving cars, what's going to end up happening is – very similar to what's happening with my friend, um, who is the who is the you know the classic example of a guy who is working while listening to the radio or a podcast or something like right. that. So that that that's where I that's where I, I see things going uh, for my business. But we're so far away from that yeah. that it's not an immediate concern. But in five years, ten years, okay, then yeah, we can start talking about that being. Yeah. So, so that's one reason why I, I, I thought Richard put the appropriate amount of time into it because I don't think driverless cars are coming nearly as soon as people think they're going to be here. And uh, no, they just suffered a setback this past year, unfortunately, with a driverless car killing someone. Yeah. We are going to have a lot of spurts and fits as we get to this point. And the other thing I might add about driverless cars, it might be convenient for some people to not have to drive. Totally understand. But there is one thing inherent about American culture. We like control. We like cars. We like, we like the, the feel of being able to drive a car. Uh, I don't see that going away anytime soon, even though you will hear anecdotally parents who have 16-year-olds who are not getting a driver's license as immediate as when you or I turned 16 because they have Uber and Lyft and things like that. But I do think there's something inherent about Americans that loves vehicles 
and we're not giving that up anytime soon. Yeah, particularly on the open road, you can you combine you know the control of uh, your audio programming with with the with having an open road. Uh, I just find like you know sometimes every now and then I have to like drive to Albuquerque. I live in El Paso, and it's, you know it's mm-hmm. it's a several hour drive, and uh, I don't mind it at all because you know there's so much content to consume uh, while you're driving. Uh, there's there's a there's literally a never ending supply of stuff that I would be interested in, in consuming. And, and so, you know, to have six hours where I like, Hey, I got six hours to listen to an audio book yeah. or podcast. I love it. I mean, I, I, so but that's, go ahead. I'm sorry. But that's where our business, that's where our business has to stop. Or if they're not thinking about it now, they need to start thinking about it very, very soon. It's very much the wild west when it comes to all that audio, there's uh, infinite amounts of content on the internet. Some people have figured out how to monetize it. Others have not. But how do you break through the noise? How do you meet the audience where they are? And if you're not turning your radio shows around into podcasts right after you're done with your show, if you're not making your show available via a stream, if you don't have a robust app, you are already behind and you're going to start affecting your business. And radio also has had to push into the visual medium as well. Again, our company, a little bit different, a little bit more technology forward. We have cameras in our studio. And what we found is if I put a piece of MP3 audio out there from an interview or a bit, it doesn't get as many clicks. But if I turn that video around of us, say, talking about the national anthem uh, in the NFL most recently, our company can turn that around and attach it and embed it to their normal stories on WRLSportsFan.com. So you have to become much more multi-platform than you originally were. And I think that being able to just put your stuff in as many places as possible will ultimately help your brand and create habits that might get people interested in listening to your radio product on a consistent basis. And one other real quick thing about those, uh, about those habits or, or the infinite content and things like that, one of, the, one of the ways that people who don't like the show, and any radio host will tell you that they've had similar examples of this, you know, they always say, well, you know, thank God for Sirius XM. Right. I've never worried about Sirius XM. Uh, that is a national product. They can't hit you on the local level. Uh, when the important things that are happening locally are going on, they're never going to provide that service for you. We are. When the Duke Carolina game is played, we're going to give you a perspective that other people can't. However, I will tell you the time that I had that moment of clarity when I started to get freaked out. And that one was uh, my previous program director had come into work with his new Toyota Camry. And his Camry was equipped with iHeartRadio built in, baked into the dash. And he was like, isn't this cool? I can actually listen to my old Tampa radio station in my car driving around in Raleigh. And that's when I went, whoa, wait a second. So for us in a transplant-heavy market or any market that's dealing with transplants, the worry I would have is when Apple or Google figures out the easiest way to transition whatever's on your phone onto your audio uh, dashboard in your car, they might not have to listen to us anymore. You could be a transplant from Pittsburgh, and you're like, you know what? I want to hear what the local guys have to say about Ben Roethlisberger being a baby about Mason Rudolph. I'm not going to listen to local guys here. I'm going to go listen to them up there, and it'll be easy to get it on your car. That. That is a worry for me. I legitimately worry about that, and that infinite content is uh, is here right now. Yeah, I think that is a that is a fair thing to worry about. But there's also an opportunity for you, particularly like being in a college town uh, where there are a lot of sports fans who pick up pick up maybe pick up the Adam and Joe habit while 
uh, they're they're in school and then they and then they leave. They might still have that habit, and that might work work to your benefit. That, uh, that we do we do have that. We do have that. We've had people who have moved from the area, or they got used to listening to us in college. We have people who still listen to us out in California. We got we have somebody who actually listens to us in Costa Rica because uh, they had to move there for work. So yeah, the, it does it does work to our advantage as well. So what is what is the the scariest part of it to you? Is it is it the the technology making it easier, or is it just the, uh, the, the amount of choice that's available? It's a choice. Uh, as you mentioned with you know, the people who might still be listening to us when they move away from the area, that's where technology helps us. Cameras in our studio to push for video content, those types of things, that also helps us immensely as well. The problem is you get more and more choice. It's paralyzing. Music has suffered this already. Yeah. You know, you and I come you and I come from an era where you bought an album and you listened to the hell out of that album. Right? Yeah. Uh, you, 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 you know, my, I used to go to Peaches Records, uh, records and tapes way, way back in the day. Right. And then I would save up my money. I'd buy that album. I'd listen to the hell out of it. I know it front to back. Yeah. Now all I got to do is pop up Apple Music. And if something doesn't really interest me, well, you know what? I'm on to the next thing. I can't even listen to a full album anymore. Because I just kind of move on to the next thing because I'm thinking, all right, well, I didn't like this song. Let me move on to the next thing. And my kids are also the same way, too. It's one of those weird things where it's like, hey, uh, I want to listen to Weird Al now. Okay, cool. I listen to Weird Al. Now I can make my own infinite mixtape where I go from Weird Al to listening to Michael Jackson or I can listen to Bruno Mars. So that, that infinite choice has moved over to my realm with podcasts. Not only do I have to deal with Bill Simmons and his Ringer podcast on the national level, I also have to deal with Joe Fan, who thinks, you know what? Let me start, I a, podcast. start a podcast. Yep. I'm going to start a podcast. And, you know, locally, there are some guys and gals who have done it who are really good at it. I'll give a shout out to, uh, to the hockey group, Section 328, or Carolina Hurricanes fan group. And they're a raucous, good, fan-connecting group of dudes who can curse and drink beer and be more on that level and talk about it from a perspective that we can't. Yep. And it makes for a more intimate conversation that we'll never be able to replicate, and that will take away people from us who might be coming to us originally to listen to some Carolina Hurricanes talk. Well, I don't have to do that because I can get it from these guys on a podcast in a different, more entertaining way. So so what do you think about the possibilities like to to grow your national footprint just via social media? I mean, is that just just, you know, so hard that it's not worth bothering with or or, or do you think about that kind of stuff? I don't think about that very much uh, because it doesn't really do me any good other than stroking my ego, if that makes any sense. It does make you know what I mean? sense. Yep. So yeah. Yeah, it's like Twitter, Twitter has helped me because with Twitter, people know what I look like. People can kind of stick with me as the day goes on. Uh, and when I go to, say, the ACC, ACC events, like, you know, as we're having this conversation, I'm going to the ACC baseball tournament at the Durham Bulls Athletic Park. And I'll be able to run into some national dudes who will follow me for a local perspective. And that's my network in, if you will. Yep. But in terms of thinking I can like monetize it or get people to listen to our show because of it, I don't really see that to my benefit. So staying hyper local and, and, and focusing on what we do best here is better for my bottom line than it is trying to chase something that, you know, 
for instance, I used to work with Bomani Jones. Bomani Jones came from this market, the ESPN, one of yep. the smart voices in this business. Yep. Uh, and he, he misses talking about local. But I also know when it comes to a national matter, people are going to listen to Bomani more than they're going to listen to me. And that's fine. That's, that's his niche. But when it comes to talking about Duke Carolina or NC State, that's where my niche is. So, uh, you know, I'm curious, like, like, do you think we'll ever, we'll ever hit a space where you feel comfortable that, uh, that the monetization of the digital product, whether it's podcast or, or, you know, clips or whatever, do you, do you feel like you'll ever be able to monetize that enough to, to where it's sort of on par with, with, uh, what, what it would make if it was on radio? No, um, I don't. The way things are going now is very similar to how things are on TV with total audience. Yep. Rather than being focused on who watched what live on TV, it's, hey, who, but they, they streamed us. They spent X amount of minutes here and there. So I can speak you know, specifically to our own with Capital Broadcasting. When, when our sales staff goes out and sells now, 10 years ago it was, here's how many people listen to during a week. Here's how many people are listening at this particular day part. This is the potential audience you have. Now, not that our audience is bad. We do very well in the ratings. The problem now is people want more than that. Okay, well, are you going to give me social media plugs? Are you going to put us on your website? Do people have an ability to click on something that takes us back to our website? So now we're selling these packages that involve radio, uh, radio inventory along with digital impressions. When we sell a remote, it's X amount of mentions that we're going to be at a particular location. And then it goes beyond that to, okay, now that we're here, we do several social media posts that we're here right. showing you the location, trying to get to our reach. And all that now is what we sell, not just the radio. My fear for podcasts is there's so many of them. I'm not even sure what the, the overall reach is. I think with podcasts, you only have a handful of people who can make real money off yep. of it. Otherwise, you're just dealing it. It's a hobby. Yep. Like me. I'm a, I am team hobby over here. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, it, but you know, as a there's, hobby, there's it's nothing, fun. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad that people do it as a hobby and I think people do it for the connection. But if people start up a podcast with no real backing, think about it this way. ESPN still struggles to figure out how to monetize their podcast, even though they have the top podcast on iTunes, the ringer their you know, their bread and butter right now seems to be podcasts more so than their actual written content. But, I, but they're such a unique situation that it's going to be very, very difficult to replicate for another company. Yeah, I, I agree. So uh, so what is the what is for, for now anyway, what's like the most fun thing about still being a, a radio presence and, and doing it live? You do it live. people. And, uh, and, and I know how hard that is as you know, someone who gets to edit my finished product. Uh, I have great grown to have great admiration uh, for people who just can. Uh, riff extemporaneously for you know several hours at a time that is a that is a skill i do not have i think the the part that still kind of excites me or i think is the most fun part about it is that there are people out there that have decided that we are worth their time that we have become part of a routine that they feel as though okay i'm off of work let's go see what adam and joe were saying those types of things. Or in a, and I see it every so often after a big sporting event. You know, let's say NC State blows a big lead. I'll see it in my Twitter timeline like, oh, man, 3 o'clock can't get here fast enough. Right. You know, that sort of thing. So though, when I see those little things, 
it kind of, you know, warms my cold heart. And I go, <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. I enjoy this. This is cool. That's fun. It's, it's this radio, especially local radio, offers a unique, a unique partnership relationship with the audience that no other medium can mimic. It's, a, it's an intimate thing that, because it's you and one other person. Yeah. I mean, you might have thousands of people listening to you, but I don't think of it in the sense that there's you know, X amount of people listening. It's you in your car yeah. deciding to, I'm going to spend my time with this person or these people. And when you think about it on that level, it does make it very, very neat and exciting that they have decided to choose you to spend their time with when they have any number of things that they can listen to instead of us. So that, that, that definitely makes me excited. So, so uh, let's, let's just say over the, let's, let's say it's uh, it's 2018. So let's say between now and 2023, do you really have much worry that like, you know, someone who's like really into the, the Duke North Carolina game and has always listened to you for that kind of coverage before. Do you, do, do you have a big worry that over the next five years, they're going to say, you know what? I got many, many other options for that. I'm sorry, Adam and Joe, I'm bailing on you. Yeah, no, I, I worry about it. Uh, and my biggest worry actually comes from the form of the schools. The um, one of our bigger competitors now and maybe college is unique to this compared to pro sports, but I can tell you specifically with college, North Carolina wins a national championship, right? A couple of years ago. Yep. And if I'm a Carolina fan and I really love this team, I'm following all of Carolina's official stuff. I go to their website. I follow them on Instagram. I go to Facebook. I read, they have a columnist named Adam Lucas. You know, they have it. They have their own media arm as a university. I see. And during those championship runs, you want to be part of the ride. You don't want to hear criticism. You don't want to hear about the NCAA academic scandal that somebody might ask during a Final Four press conference. You don't have any time for that. You don't want to be a harsher buzz, man. I just here <laughs> for the fun time. Okay. Ah, yep. So that that is a concern. Duke does this very very well. I already mentioned Carolina. NC State does this. The Carolina Hurricanes have their own podcasts, their own bloggers that give you game recaps. They do Q and As and those types of things. And as we become more niche and broken off and we only want to hear things that reinforce our own opinion, you're going to want to ride with the team more so than a couple of bozos on the radio who don't understand the sport or they're out to get my team. Well, how can they be out to get to your team when they are your team? So by 2023, as you mentioned, I think we're going to see more of that uh, either from schools or teams that aren't doing it right now or they're just simply going to expand what they're doing right now and take some money out of our pockets. So I I just, I just wonder like how much do you guys think about, you know what, if we can't beat them, join them, we're going to have to start like producing content from the perspective of a fan rather than the perspective of say radio commentators slash journalists. Um, I, for us specifically, we don't because we are in a unique area where you have three universities and you can't be homers from one any old team because right. you're always going to tick off half the audience I see, yeah. that way. Once, you know what I'm saying? However, 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 as a company, we started to tap into that by bringing in fan perspective. This past season for the college year, we did something called the Tripartisan Podcast with written content where we brought 
a Carolina guy, a Duke guy, and a state guy to offer their perspective, and they all kind of jovially had conversations with each other, right? But they were clearly fans, and we did pretty well with that. And I think that's actually something that we need to explore going further. But if you're from another market where you don't have this unique situation, I will offer this and why you don't have to worry about like jumping ship and being a rah-rah guy. It's all fun and games when you're winning, okay? <laughs> right. But what happens when you lose? And if there's one thing that fans will always gravitate to is the outlet to complain about the team that is losing <laughs> or the coach that needs to be fired or the guy who needs to be traded. And you can't get that. You can't get that on a team website. You can't get that from a fan blog. What you will get that from is us. Yep. So when you're mad, you're not going to them. You're going to us. And if there's one thing we do know about sports, it will piss you off <laughs> every so often. Yeah, you know, so, so uh, you know, we, we could end the, uh, the tech talk on that topic because I, I, I think that positions you well. I mean, I, I like your prospects as long as, long as that's the way it is. <laughs> hey, you stay mad, I stay in business. That's how it works. Exactly. And I think for sport, sports fans staying mad. Uh, that's something that's going to happen. All right, I'll give you a, I'll give you a quick, a couple of sports media topics, and and then get you out of here. So, uh, what is your take on how the NFL, and I'll I'll put it in scare quotes, handled uh, the, their national anthem policy? A quick editor's note: Remember when I said speaking extemporaneously wasn't a skill I had? That manifests in this segment in ways where. I come off more combative than I really am about all the praise that's heaped on Adam Silver for being such a progressive commissioner. And if I had any skill at speaking off the cuff, I would have just said that the NBA was actually so progressive that long before the anthem protesting became an issue, they already had a rule prohibiting it. I salute the NBA for that progressiveness. And with that progressiveness in play, I'm not really sure any of the other things people deem as progressive on the NBA's part matter nearly as much. Back to the podcast. Uh, like a dog chasing its own tail, for lack of a better term. Uh, that, that, they, they, they for, for whatever reason, they felt that they had to placate the boogeyman, the straw man. And by doing so, all they did was create an, uh, another can of worms. And if they had just allowed things to work their natural way, as in people get over it, people move on, the effectiveness of using the anthem as a vehicle to protest went away, which I was convinced it was after this past season, everybody would have moved on. Instead, what they did is they agitated their own players. Yeah. They agitated a good chunk of their fans. And they also opened up the president to do two things. One, claim victory over yeah. the owners, which yeah. is never a great thing. And then two open it up even further with, which I thought immediately when I saw the stay in the locker room and we saw it with the president's comments, Hey, well, if you stay in the locker room, well, then you clearly don't love the country. So you see what you did there. Yep. All you did was make matters worse for everybody. And the NFL lacks the kind of leadership that the NBA does. The uh, one real quick point about this, the, the bad talking point that I've seen a couple of times, I'm not going to name any names, but it's the, well, you know what? The NFL should take the NBA's anthem policy, which the joke is, the punchline is, the NBA requires you to go out there for the anthem. Yeah. Except that what that what that what people think is a very clever line fails to understand is that the NBA is an open progressive sports league that allows its players to speak their minds. It's not about the shield. It's about the individual. The Adam, Adam Silver 
even said most recently, our players are not out here to shut up and dribble. They are people. They will talk. They will do their things. So they'll never need to use the anthem as a way to draw attention to themselves. That's the thing that the NFL seems to miss the most. But it is run by a bunch of scared billionaires, so you're never really going to see that change. And they don't have a very good leader in Roger Goodell, who is just essentially a human shield for the owners to go up there and take the beating. Silver, Silver is playing, you know, 4D chess while Roger Goodell is playing checkers. And it's very apparent this week alone. For the NFL to have this happen when Sterling Brown's video of the Milwaukee Bucks came out on the same day, yep. that shows you everything you need to know about why one league gets it right and one league doesn't. Well, so I, I want to push back on that narrative. I think Silver gets way, way too much credit by, by people like you, and it's, it's pretty much everyone. And, and I, think, mm-hmm. I think that there will be at some point someone who doesn't think they otherwise that they have a better way to get attention than Neil. And if that ever happens, I don't really realistically see Adam Silver handling that well because it's just a very hard, thorny thing to do. Uh, and I think that, well, the, you I'll, know, I'll, so, so one thing, Joe, I mean, I think this is really critical. You know, there are 50-plus mm-hmm. players per NFL team, and there are 12 on, on an NBA team. And that does make, that, that does make life a, a lot simpler to manage. Um, uh, but but, but to, to their credit, they have – I mean, they have not had any single. I, I can't think of. I mean, so the, Ster, the 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 Sterling Brown news is is a is a great example. I think they did handle that beautifully all the way around, and and it's hard uh, to will, imagine the NFL handling that as well as the NBA did. I will push back ever so slightly back on you when it comes to Adam Silver getting too much credit. I, I know that there's that tendency to give too much or too little credit. The reason why I give. Silver, the benefit of the doubt is because he has a track record of being progressive on other matters, too. If you look at gambling, right, they're the ones who've been pushing for legalized sports wagering before everybody else. And because they understand they can reap the benefits of that. You also see it with their social media policy. The NBA, I know Silver recently did, an, uh, I think it was the Business Insider, who put it perfectly. You want to take our highlights, remix them, put them on social media platforms? Please do. That's the snack. We believe that if you see enough stuff going on on social media, you eventually want to be part of the fun and you'll go out and get the meal after the fact. And we've seen that. And you and I go back and forth on this when it comes to Twitter. Why is it the NBA has seen an uptick in ratings versus every other sports league to varying degrees being stagnant or falling? And I think the reason why is because the NBA has positioned itself to be more of a modern, nimble, get with the times type league. And I think that's under silver's leadership so not necessarily because of other factors i i i agree so i don't want to so i i think adam silver has done a great job i i do think sometimes he gets too much credit uh that's fair but but that's fair. but and i lost my train of thought what was the last thing you were saying joe i apologize oh uh, i was i was i was simply saying that uh silver has a track record of being progressive on a various other matters and one last point about the whole anthem thing to, to your to your point about hey you know, some, an NBA player might do something on the court. They don't need to. And the reason why they don't need to is because they have Instagram. They have Twitter. They have built their own brand. LeBron James doesn't need to do something on the court to get his point across. All LeBron James has to do is hold a press conference. All LeBron James has to do is post a social media post on Instagram or an IG story that vanishes after 24 hours, and it's going to get aggregated. People care what he has to say about that stuff, and that's been cultivated over many, many years. I think it's interesting that in the NFL, the only guy who can break through with any sort of take was Chris Long, right? Right, He posts something on Twitter, 
And that one, that's the only thing that blows up. Do we see anything out of Tom Brady? Do we see anything out of Drew Brees? Do we see anything at Matt Ryan? No, the NFL players are so afraid to speak out because they know it's going to affect, it's going to bother the owners. It's going to bother the sponsors. They, the NBA has set it up that this is who we are. This is our league. You want to be a part of it? Cool. This is what comes with it. The NFL is way too bottom line heavy. And I think it paralyzes them when it comes to matters like this. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I remembered what I wanted to say. So the, I think it's, it's very, very smart. Uh, the NBA's uh, social media policy on, uh, on video and highlights and pictures and that sort of thing. But the, but the reason it's so smart is for some of the reasons we talked about, about, about digital products. Anyway, they knew they weren't making any money on that stuff anyway. So why not let people, you know, but, but, but that's very smart. I mean, and at some point, if you if you build all that stuff up enough, I think I think you can figure out how to monetize it. Uh, but but while you can't figure it out, you know, why not let people run wild with it? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a very smart tactic. The NFL biggest mistake the NFL made is that they wouldn't they wouldn't even let their own teams remix their own stuff. Like the Carolina Panthers locally have a really great social media presence, right? Yeah. They have fun with gifs. They would get back and forth with other teams. What did they do? They shut it down. Why? Why would you do that? It only helps your bottom line out. The NFL wanted it all tied together. That's a bad play. Yeah, so, I, you know, the, 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 the backstory there is I don't know. I mean, I would be surprised if Fox, NBC, and ESPN were complaining about them letting that stuff exist. But I mm-hmm. wouldn't be shocked if they were complaining. I mean, they are paying an awful lot for, uh, for some of that stuff, so... No, that's true. That's true. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I can put it all in the NFL, but it, uh, but my guess is we can put it all in the NFL. Yeah, I, the, so, what are they? So broadcast, t- broadcast partners, broadcast partners, I believe is how they corporate champions, however you want to describe it. Yeah, I but, think it's a, uh, I think it's, I think it's a bad play. Yeah. So TNT and ESPN are, are, you know, Turner sports and ESPN are, are partners with the NBA and, and, and they see, well, let me ask you, it. let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Do you think that the amount of money they think they can make after, uh, with monetizing social media posts, like let's use the NFL as example, Does the NFL really think it can make enough money off of sponsorship dollars for GIFs, 30-second clips, putting 90 seconds of touchdown videos on Twitter, is what is the, the actual financial cost or financial benefit versus the intangible benefit that, like, the, you know, the classic Darren Ravelism of <laughs> there was, you know, X amount of fish, fictional dollars that you gained because of this exposure. I think, in my mental calculus, the exposure is better than the actual dollars you'd get in return if you did it another way. Yeah, so the, the only thing there is is that they let, – let's say that down the road, the NBA figures out how to monetize all that social media stuff. Stuffing the genie, stuffing the genie back in the bottle, that's going to be really hard. And so, uh, you know, the NFL never letting it out of the bottle to begin with, I mean, that seems to be their strategy to me. I don't agree with it. But uh, I can, you know, on the basis of everything else, it's become free and is uh, hard to convert to get, pe- you know, hard to convert people to paying for something that they can get for free. Uh, I do sort of understand the notion of trying to keep it in the bottle to begin with. The other thing, too, is where are we headed with subscription fees? You know, they might not be making money now on these types of things, but look at ESPN Plus. It's entirely possible the NBA puts out their own direct product that you spend X amount of money on, and you get these types of things and more. So 
there's a lot of unknowns going into the future of how they're going to monetize all these things. But as you and I have discussed in the past, the, um, the, the, the broadcasters are so married to live sports that they're going to continue to overpay in order to keep the audience that they have now. That's why you saw the WWE get the kind of deal it got out of Fox because it was live inventory. It's why ESPN doubled down on the UFC. It's a yeah. younger demographic that's willing to watch these types of things. These niche audiences that actually have guaranteed live eyeballs, they are going to be worth spending the money for now. So the leagues are never going to have to go direct in the near future. That could change. That could change. I just don't know when. Yeah. So do, do, you, do you have a few more minutes? Um, I just, I just got here, so I got to start setting up, but you got anything else you wanted to hit? Yeah. So I wanted to, uh, just, just, just a couple of minutes. So, uh, you, you read, uh, Shalini at Shalini's great article, uh, from the wall street journal. Yeah, I read it. I read it. Yeah. I read it earlier. And, uh, you know, I, I find it very interesting. I mean, I think it, it seemed to me that, uh, that people were getting put off by the headline, but, uh, that's really what made it interesting to me that, uh, ESPN did get wrapped up in, uh, in the politics even if that wasn't necessarily driving the results, they did get really, really wrapped up in it. And, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts on the piece were. Um, I thought it was really well done. I thought the charts were a great illustration. As so the overall big picture of ESPN's decline being tied into changing consumer habits more so than the quote unquote politics of ESPN. My simple theory on this is that Twitter comment sections, Facebook, Yep. Clay Travis, Breitbart, those those entities who have basically made a business out of taking shots at ESPN. I'll ask you this question. When do you ever hear from Clay Travis or Jason Whitlock? You only ever hear from them, really. They, they only ever really get aggregated when they have something negative to say about ESPN. Yep. So knocking ESPN is good business. If you're an executive up in Bristol, and full disclosure, I do freelance work for ESPN. I occasionally fill in on ESPN radio. So I don't, you know, it's not like I'm trying to like cape up for ESPN here. But if I was in the position of an executive up in Bristol, I would be, I would be sympathetic to their, to their problems. You are getting daily beatdowns on social media and through these, uh, these dog whistles that are being blown by certain individuals. Okay. The over time, I can see where you start to believe, well, maybe this is the reason why people are tuning us off because we keep seeing these types of things going on. But the only thing I would implore, the only thing I would ask anybody who truly believes that social media or politics has anything to do with the declines, you have to do the mental calculus of just who's on Twitter. Yeah. You know, the percentage of Americans that are on the Internet isn't 100 percent. OK, yeah. I forgot what the last number is, but it's not 100 percent. It's something like, what, 60, 70 percent or something like that? Yeah, and, and, the, and then you know, the, Twitter users way, way, way smaller. Then, then you go. Then you go, okay, so of the people, of the percentage of people that are on the Internet, the percentage of those people that are on Twitter is like about 20 percent, 20 to 25 percent, depending on the number that you look at, right? Yep. Then you have to diminish that number even further. Okay, of the 20 to 25 percent of people who are on Twitter, what percentage of those people actually give a damn about sports? Yep. Okay. They're more intrigued by Kim Kardashian or something like that. They don't care about sports. So I'll take the cable model on that. What's the conventional wisdom of like the 90 million cable subscribers that are out there or something like that? 20 million of those actually care about sports. Okay, so do that math within the 20 to 25%. That's how how small the peanut gallery is. And I wish we'd stop being led by a very loud, angry base of people that 
Last time I checked, I mean, I'm 39 years old, so I've essentially grown up with the internet. You know what the internet's really, really good at? It's a place for you just to fire up your your keyboard and complain. People just want to complain. People go on Yelp and they give a place one star because there wasn't enough ice in their water. That's a one star review. That's but I, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not being extreme know, here. That's what gets you a one star review. So yeah. if that's how people are on the internet, what you think they're going to praise you on the internet? No, that's not the case. So I think they've gotten so raptized about that stuff that it's helped. It's it's unfortunately helped them make decisions they should not have made. So, uh, so Richard Deitch took to uh, you know made made a point while we were taping this about that about that article. He responded uh, to one of my tweets. I said, this, "Good article," and Richard's response was, uh, "Certainly good for Jimmy Pitaro," uh, which which not <laughs> is not how I was thinking about it, but is exactly exactly true. This is true. This is true. It, it's it, it's a worse look for the previous management than it is the new management. Yeah. Yep. Well, hey, hey, Joe, listen, I appreciate you spending the time. Have fun at the uh, ACC uh, baseball tournament. And, uh, and hopefully I'll, I'll get you back on the podcast sometime. Yeah, hopefully the dulcet tones of Tony Rigsby on the PA were not overpowering. He has great pipes. You know, he has great pipes around here. I don't think I picked him up, unfortunately. I might, that, might, that might have been good. But uh, I appreciate you taking okay. the time. You know, anytime. Thanks again to Joe Ovius for joining the podcast. You can find Joe on Twitter at Joe Ovius. That's J-O-E-O-V-I-E-S. And a shout out also to uh, Richard Deitch for his great mailbag column on The Athletic, which I will link to in the podcast description. And uh, thanks as well to his reader, uh, Gil Gross from New York, who sent him in the great question about the driverless cars, which inspired this podcast. Thanks for listening.